It's Krista Bontrager, and I'm your tour guide this year as we go through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. This is the Points of Interest podcast where we preview this week's reading and get you ready to get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Here we go. Well, it was from Genesis to today. More than Welcome everyone to week 24. While the weeks are just flying by here, we're already in the second week of June. We're continuing to make our way through the wisdom literature. We'll be finishing up the book of Job this week and then starting a long journey in the book of Psalms. We'll be in the book of Psalms for about five weeks, but we're, we're just going to start it this week in chapters 1 to 20. So let's first start out with Job chapter 32. And Job 32 actually starts a new section in the book of Job. We've read through a lot of speeches by Job's theological friends and we're up to Elihu and Elihu's speeches will go from chapters 32 to 37. Then when we get to chapters 38 to 42, that's where the book of Job really gets good because we've heard all these speeches. We've heard Job's speeches. We've heard speeches from his friends, but then we hear a speech from God. God intervenes and gives Job a piece of his mind. What's really important, I think, about the speeches that God gives to Job are the questions that he asks Job. This whole book, it's almost as if God's been on trial. His friends are asking in many different ways, why does God allow bad things to happen to the righteous? They're putting forth their potential answers. But then God comes in and it's sort of a great reversal because now it's no longer God on trial. Job is almost in the dock and God has this series of questions where it's Job, where were you? You're so busy asking all these questions, but where were you when I created the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I made the animals? Where were you when all of these things happened? And it really puts everything in perspective. God is the creator and Job is the creation. This is what really helps us in life when when bad things do happen. We remember that we worship a God who's bigger than our problems. He's bigger than just the world that we see around us. The creator of the universe transcends not only our problems, but the universe itself. God draws upon creation many, many times in his speeches in order to illustrate his power and his wisdom and how his power and wisdom extend even farther than that of Job. Finally, we're going to reach chapter 42, and the story of Job wraps up. 
Job's reply to the Lord is, I think, one of the most profound passages in all of Scripture. God has been cross-examining Job, it intensely asking him all these questions. Where were you? Where were you? Look at all the things that I have done. And then Job's reply, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. And then a little later he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is an extremely profound admission on Job's part. He recognizes his stature as a creation before the Creator. And this section in the book of Job is really the closest that the Bible gets to explaining what many people call the problem of evil. Why does God allow bad things to happen to righteous people? The answer to that question is, God's the creator, he's in control, he allows things to happen, and he doesn't have to explain it to us. When we look around and we see the creation as it is, and that's our only perspective, and we fail to see the transcendent perspective of God as being outside of this universe, as being the one who created the universe itself, then we fail to see things God's way. We fail to see the world from God's perspective. And what the book of Job, especially the ending chapters of the book of Job, remind us that no matter what situation we're in, we need to look at it from God's perspective and to know that he is in control. He doesn't always explain it to us. He doesn't always tell us why he does what he does or why he allows certain things to happen to some people and not to other people. But we just have to trust him that as the creator of the universe, nothing has slipped by him. He's in control of everything. He's in control of the animals. He's in control of the mountains and and their formation. Everything that even looks as if on the outside, it's just going on according to natural processes. God says he's involved in that. And he's involved in our lives. But he doesn't always explain his purposes or his ways to us. We have to learn the lesson of the book of Job. We need to see things from God's point of view. The whole matter is wrapped up in chapter 42, and we see that that God blesses Job, not just financially, but with a whole new family that, in a sense, replaces the family that he lost. And Job stands as a wonderful example to us today of how to respond when we find ourselves in a difficult situation. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to to pray and, and try to understand the Lord's purposes. But at the end of it, we need to always come around to the perspective of God's in control. He's going to have his way and we need to be faithful to him even in the midst of all of the suffering. Well, now it's time to turn to the book of Psalms. And we're going to be here for several weeks and you're going to find yourself just steeped in Hebrew poetry. So I thought it would be good to take a few minutes to talk a little bit about the nature of Hebrew poetry. Because most of us don't walk around in our everyday lives reading Hebrew poetry. So let's 
try to just have a, a bit of a crash course here on some basic foundational things. One of the first things you're going to notice is that there are a lot of different types of psalms. They have different purposes. They were used for different things. We have psalms of thanksgiving. We have psalms of praise and worship to God. There are psalms about creation. There are psalms of lament. And as you go through the psalms, you'll begin to notice some patterns, some repeated words. You know, there's a lot of commands to God of answer me, help, save me, vindicate me. And we'll also notice that there are many accusations against adversaries and God's people will call down judgment against those who oppose the covenant people of God. We'll also notice uh, many calls of praise. Magnify the Lord with me. Sing praise to the Lord. I will sing to you. So you'll want to watch for repeated patterns and, and that'll help make the Psalms a little more meaningful to you. Another important thing to remember about the Psalms is that each Psalm is its own standalone literary unit. One of the most important things that we have to do with each psalm is look at it in its entirety. We want to read the whole context and really try to figure out like, okay, what is the big picture idea that this psalm is trying to teach? What is it that God wants me to know? Rather than zeroing in on all the little details, try to read the psalm for the big picture. Read the whole thing in its entirety. And then try to figure out how do all the pieces and parts fit together? This one big idea is supported by all of these smaller ideas, but it has to fit together in a cohesive whole. Now, sometimes that's very difficult for us as Americans because our tendency when we read scripture is to read it in pieces and parts, to read verses and phrases that are very personally meaningful to us. But we want to be careful to also read it the way that it was intended by the original author. And that is that in this case, each psalm represents its own unit of thought. Now, since we can't possibly talk about all of the Psalms, it's just way, it's way too rich and there's just way too much. I'm going to be selecting a couple of Psalms each week to dive deeper into as we go. So this week, I thought I would talk about Psalm 8. It's a wonderful, beautiful Psalm. It's a Psalm of David, and it is actually one of the creation Psalms. There are a number of Psalms, Psalm 8, Psalm 139, Psalm 104, and others, that focus on themes related to creation. And Psalm 8 is one of those. Another passage that Psalm 8 is connected to is Genesis chapter 1. At the end of Genesis chapter 1, verses, oh, around 25, 26, we read about the creation of humanity, that humans alone were created in the image of God. It gives them dignity. It gave them dignity and worth that was inherent to them as human beings. It wasn't based on what they did. It was it was the essence of who they were, that they had special value and worth before God, but also that they had special abilities. And, and we talked about that way back when we were talking about Genesis. When we get to Psalm 8, this is kind of a, a poetic reflection on those ideas. It says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars from which you set into place, 
What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, that you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings or the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor? You have made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the sw- and all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So immediately when we read the whole psalm, we notice something. It has bookends. The beginning and the end are exactly the same. And in the middle is the reflection on Psalm chapter 1. Humanity's role as the crown of God's creation and also as the governor of God's creation or the steward of God's creation. Now let's talk a little bit about Psalm 19. This is another just wonderful psalm, one of my favorites. It's one I love to to speak and teach about at churches as I travel around. And it's such an important psalm because it provides the foundation for a doctrine we call in theology the doctrine of general and special revelation. You know, God was under no obligation to reveal himself to his creation. He could have just made Adam and Eve, they sinned, and then he just left them alone. But that's not what happened. God continued to engage with his creation. He continued to reveal himself through scripture. He's also revealed himself through nature. Now in the Belgic Confession, which is one of the classic Protestant confessions of the Christian church, is from the 1600s has a wonderful passage in there explaining the relationship between general and special revelation. It calls them God's two great books, the book of nature and the book of scripture. And both of these books, you know, one is a a literal book, the Bible, and one is more of a metaphorical book, is the book of nature. But these books, when taken together, give us the fullest revelation about God, our creator and our redeemer. The book of nature really reveals to us so much about the the wisdom and the power and the love of the creator. And the book of scripture complements that. And it also gives us additional information about God as our redeemer. If you really want to know who God is, you have to look in both of these books. Now, Psalm 19 forms the, the foundation for this wonderful doctrine of the revelation of God. Let's just look at it together. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. What a wonderful declaration of the book of nature, general revelation. It's always before our eyes. It's speaking to us 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year to all people in all times and all places. Then we get down to verse 7. It says, 
The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And on it goes. These are all synonyms. The law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord. These are all synonyms for special revelation. Scripture, the Bible. This informs our lives and it it tells us how to have our sins forgiven. Verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And there that imagery, my rock, that in general revelation that tell, that is revealing the nature of God and my redeemer. That in special revelation that tells me how I can have my sins forgiven. How I can be blameless before the Lord. Well, that's all for now. I hope you enjoy finishing up the book of Job this week. Starting in the book of Psalms. Our journey in the coming weeks through the book of Psalms is just going to be rich. I'm looking forward to it. And I can't wait to continue that journey with you as we continue our campaign on Route 66. We'll see you next time. Shechem Coliseum, Jerusalem City is not a pretty sea. Mount Nebo, Sidon, Old Jericho, and the accessory. And don't forget, go got that sausage, dirty, and play.